I'd like to add my greeting to those of you who are visiting today. It is so fun to have all the family and the friends here. And uh, my name is Joseph Wheat. I'm the senior pastor, and that was Billy Meenan, who's assistant pastor over senior high, and Brad Mercer, who is our associate pastor. And we would love to meet you after the service. Please turn in your New Testaments now to John chapter 2, verses 12 through 22. John 2, 12 through 22. And this is the very word of God. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip out of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and turned over all their tables. And he told those who were selling pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a place of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written about the Messiah, zeal for your house will consume me. And so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. And the Jews said, it's taken 46 years To build this temple. And you will raise it back up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. And therefore when he was raised from the dead. His disciples remembered that he said this. And they believed the scripture and the word of Jesus that he had spoken. So let's do another he is risen. All right. He is risen. And Easter is so bright. And so joyful, especially this Easter. Wouldn't you say, I mean, God has really put on the azaleas this year. I don't know if y'all have noticed it, but it's 66 degrees right here in the greater Jackson area. It is no wind. It is bright. It is beautiful. And it is joyful. And the reason Easter is so bright and so joyful, no matter what the weather is, is because Easter is about newness. It is about the new and better that Christ brings to us through the resurrection. Now, I think about how how people get ready for Easter. People are getting ready for Easter. How do they do that? Well, they kind of clean out. And they, the old, and they bring in something new. Now, cleaning out the old, that's called spring cleaning, right? And so, you know, people are in their house, and they're decluttering, and they are throwing away stuff, and they're cleaning out stuff, and cleaning up stuff, and people out in the yard, kind of getting their yard ready for Easter. And then there's the new, and maybe there's some new dresses, and maybe there's fresh flowers. Maybe there's some some new food that maybe you don't eat all the time, like a really high-quality ham or something like that. Or, or certain kinds of candy uh, in the shape of eggs or a long-eared rodent. I'm not sure exactly why that is. 
But hopefully it's all about clearing out the old and, and an expectation of bright joy and newness through this thing called Easter. You know, that, that's what this passage is about. It's about clearing out the old and bringing in the new and how the new is better and how the new is ours. Jesus literally was cleaning out, clearing out the old. This this account is one of the accounts in the, the Gospels of, of what we call the, quote, cleansing of the temple. And people were selling cattle and they were selling birds and they were changing out money. And Jesus furiously, I mean furiously, angrily, cleaned out, cleared out the temple of these things and these people that day with a whip. Now, we don't think of Jesus very often this way. We we tend to think of Jesus more in, in what people call the, the, quote, Christian bookstore Jesus. You know, the Christian bookstore Jesus, he's very handsome and he's very mild manner and he's generally, he has perfectly feathered hair and a um, very well manicured beard and he has a, a, a pressed almost looking blindingly white robed. No, this is like Rambo Jesus in, in John chapter two. I mean, this is the real Jesus. Verse 15, he makes a weapon. A whip out of cord and he attacks, just full on attack. He drove them out. Verse 15, drove them all out of the temple. They drove the sheep, drove the oxen out. He poured out the money, flipped over the table. I mean, there's money going everywhere. This is pandemonium and it's all caused by Jesus. He told them, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. One scholar says that Jesus is far more confrontational than we imagine, that, that this is actually characteristic of the work of Jesus, who is constantly disrupting things to give us something better. Isn't that true? There's no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. You either love him or you hate him or, you know, because if you know his real claims and who he really claims to be, if you know what he's really saying to us about our real lives, there's no neutrality. You know, the focus in the temple was supposed to be God's glory and God's grace through the sacrifices, you know, the blood sacrifices made on behalf of sinners, it was supposed to be about worship, the temple. It was supposed to be about the, the glory of where the presence and name of God dwelt on earth. But when Jesus walked into the temple that day, I mean, it was feeling more like a Jewish Walmart. One-stop shopping for worship. Animals, coins, and you need to understand, it's, it's not the selling of animals that's the problem here. And it's not the changing out of coins that's the problem here. Look, if you came down from Mesopotamia to worship God in the temple, you're not going to bring a little lamb with you or some animal, perfect little animal with you all the way from Mesopotamia. No, it's a great convenience, isn't it? 
to be able to go to the temple, buy a lamb, and sacrifice the lamb that you bought at the temple. And then you come down from Tarsus or some place up in modern-day Turkey, and you've got Tarsus dollars or whatever they're called, and uh, you bring those, and they don't accept those in the temple. You know, they only accept money that spends in Jerusalem in the temple. And so you kind of need, like an ATM, like if you go to another country, you kind of need to change out some money, and you get the, the temple money that you can actually pay your temple tax that was required. So this is a great convenience at a fee. It's kind of like those ATMs, you know, you get, you, you stick your card in and you really need money. You're in a place where nobody speaks your language and, and it says, press here for the $5 fee. And that was what was going on in the temple. There was a great convenience. The problem wasn't really what was happening. It was where it was happening. For centuries, animals had been sold, money had been changed on the slopes, the bottom of the slopes of the Mount of Olives, just down and up the Kidron Valley. So you could come and buy your animals, you get the right money, then you could go down the Kidron Valley, up the temp- to the temple and make your sacrifice. But by the time of Jesus' ministry on earth, they had brought their kiosks and their cages and their animals and all their wares into the temple and into a particular space in the temple that was set apart. You ready for this? Set apart exclusively for the worship of Gentiles. It's called the court of the Gentiles. And there was such noise and bustle and smells of animals and men hawking their wares, totally disrupting the worship of Gentiles who were seeking God. The court of the Gentiles was the largest court in the temple. God has always had a heart for the nations, for the the Gentiles, in fact, in, in the account of the cleansing of the temple in Mark chapter 11, Jesus screams as he clears the temple, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. All the nations literally means for the Gentiles as well as the Jews. But you, he says, you have made it a den of robbers. And all this was prophesied in Psalm 69.9 about the Messiah. Zeal for his father's house will consume him. And let me tell you, when the second person of God, the Son of God, has a whip, you get out. And yes, you could say that maybe one of the applications of this text is how Our hearts and our minds get so cluttered with other stuff that we are distracted from God and we need God, the the Christ, we need Christ to be disruptive in our lives and, and lead us, clear out and lead us back into worship. But that's not the primary meaning of this text in John chapter 2, the primary meaning of this text is, is, is about Jesus clearing out the temple because God was about to replace the temple. In fact, just 30, 
years, 33 years after Jesus' death, the temple was destroyed. God was about to do away with the temple. God was about to replace the temple itself. This is about how the whole sacrificial system of the temple is about to stop. And that is the real significance of why Jesus went after the people selling the animals, changing the money, because notice it says he drove them all out. Jesus Christ brought the temple sacrifices to a grinding halt that day in Jerusalem. We don't know for how long. He's clearing it out because something new and better is coming. So the first thing we see is that this is about clearing out. But the second thing is this is about bringing in the new. When Jesus talked about the new in this passage, he talked about it solely in terms of the resurrection. Uh, you'll notice the temple officials, they're called the Jews, meaning the leader of the, the Jews. The, the temple officials come out. They're just doing what they're supposed to do. They ask, who are you to disrupt the worship of the temple? Give us some sign to show that you have the authority to be able to do this. Y'all, that's a good thing. That's a good thing to say if you are a temple, uh, a leader in the temple. The Jews said to him, verse 18, what sign can you show us for doing these things? Verse 19, Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. I'll give you a sign, Jesus says, I am the sign. In another place, he says, I will give you a sign, the sign of Jonah. And just as Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days, so the son of man shall be. I'll give you a sign. I am the sign. I am the one. I am the Messiah. He's not talking just about the temple in Jerusalem. He is talking about the resurrection of his own body. I am the new temple. Of course, they thought he was talking about the actual temple. Verse 20, the Jews said to him, it took 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to build it back up in three days. Verse 21, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. He was talking about Easter. He was talking about the resurrection. Verse 22, And when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. He's bringing in something new himself to replace the temple. This is a big deal. The temple is a big deal in the scriptures, and the temple was a big deal, the biggest deal in Israel. The temple is the center of the world for Jewish people. The temple wasn't just a place for sacrifice. The temple was the the place on earth where, where heaven and earth kind of connected, where heaven and earth overlapped where God's glory and his presence, a representation of his presence, dwelt on earth. In fact, the the Jews called the Holy of Holies, that, that inner, innermost sanctum of the temple, they called it God's throne on earth. And Jesus is going to tear it down? Yes, tear down this temple. And I will raise it up. In three days, he's replacing the temple. 
Jesus will be the connection between God and man. You see, when Jesus was on earth, he didn't hate the temple. Jesus understood what the temple was, and Jesus did present his ministry in so many places as an alternative in some ways to the temple. That's why one of the reasons they wanted to kill him, he was, quote, blaspheming against the temple. And in Mark 17, when you read about Jesus' trial at the Sanhedrin, what you find are these people that are, are trying to con- get Jesus convicted, and what they say is, we heard him say, tear down the temple. They're quoting this. That's how serious this is. But you know what? Jesus saw the temple like everybody else saw the temple. Jesus saw the temple as a glorious signpost pointing to a greater and permanent reality. Pointing to himself. All the lambs and bulls and goats and pigeons and doves slain day after day in the temple point to the once and for all sacrifice of the Lamb of God, the Messiah for our sin. Remember in Isaiah 53, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him, on the Messiah, the iniquity of us all, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed right there in the Old Testament is prophesied this suffering Messiah, this Messiah who sacrifices himself. It's interesting to think that the one wielding the whip that day will be whipped for you and will be hung on a Roman cross for you. And uh, Christ, the final Lamb of God, sacrifices himself for you. And, and cursed is anyone hung on a tree. They said, no way he can be the Messiah. He was hung on a cross. He was hung on a tree. It says right here in Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. That's precisely why he was hung on a tree. Because he took every curse that God has against me and you and our sin. He took it, he ate it, and he paid for it all on the cross. And when Jesus said it is finished, what he meant was that the full payment before a holy God was made as a gift now on our behalf. Isn't that wonderful? That the Messiah is the Lamb of God. That when Jesus is on the cross... He is doing the temple. He's doing what you do in the temple, except he is the high priest. He is the sacrificial lamb himself. And it is, it is a final sacrifice that, that, that pleases God forever and makes the old temple obsolete. Still hadn't been rebuilt. There's a mosque city, a big mosque sitting right on top of where the temple used to be. And it's been sitting there for a long time, for hundreds and hundreds of years. Don't need the temple. Jesus is the new temple. Clearing out the old. Bringing in the new. You know, in, in, in one of John's visions of heaven in the book of Revelation, as he saw the new Jerusalem... 
it was really interesting. Him being Jewish, the, the first thing he noticed about the New Jerusalem, you know what it was? No temple. The New Jerusalem doesn't have a temple. And we read this in Revelation 21, 21. John says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Isn't that beautiful? Praise the Lamb. Our high priest. When we could not come to God because of our bent towards self, our, our sin that we can't shake off. Because of a holy God, He sacrificed Himself on the cross on Good Friday. But this is about Easter. John 2 is about Easter. You see, Jesus forgives and gives life to no one if he remains dead. Let me say that again. Jesus forgives and gives life to no one if he remains dead. The cross was necessary for our high priest and our sacrificial lamb to be able to defeat sin on our behalf and usher in the forgiveness of God. But as 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. The, the resurrection is important. In our text, as Jesus talks about the new temple and the way forward and what new life will look like in him, he talks about it solely in terms of resurrection. Tear down this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. The resurrection is when all things became new. And out of the resurrection and the resurrection alone are we given a relationship with God functionally and a new life with God functionally that will never end. You know, I think that sometimes we have a little bit of a dearth, a little anemia theologically. I don't think we recognize, I don't think we focus on the resurrection enough. Of course, it's Easter. You know, we're going to do it today. I'm going to ask you to really study and think about the resurrection like when you go out those doors into your, your real life. I love what one scholar says. He says, most people assume that the cross is the total work of Christ because Christ said it is finished. What he meant was it is finished in terms of being the Lamb of God for our sins. He says, the resurrection is impressive but it's kind of an afterthought for a lot of people. It was needed, of course, to get Jesus out of the grave. But the resurrection to many people is kind of like an epilogue to the real story. It's kind of like the extra point after the touchdown. I love that. It's kind of like the medal ceremony after the Olympic event has been completed. No. No, when you read the book of Acts and when you read the New Testament and you examine the proclamation of the gospel by the early church in the book of Acts and in the New Testament, what you find far and away is a massive emphasis on the resurrection. You see, 
it, it, the apostles keep saying, the, the way you can know that Jesus is the one is that he was raised from the dead. The proof that Jesus is the Messiah is the resurrection. And if you can believe in the resurrection, you're going to have life, and the risen Christ is going to give you all he's done for you on the cross. He's going to give you a brand new life. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. We're going to live forever with God. You understand this? We're going to live forever with God because of the resurrection. Happy Easter. And on this bright Easter morning, what we're focusing on is the new. And how Jesus has cleared out the old to to give us the new and better Bright and eternal. And how these things are because he rose. Because that temple was torn down. And he, his body, was resurrected in three days. And do you know something? It's not just to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. It's not just a a way of knowing that we have life that will never end with God. That first Easter morning when Jesus came out of that tomb, a whole new world was inaugurated that had never been and will never end. It was not only the giving of life, it was the giving of the power of the kingdom. Do you remember Peter before the resurrection? Timid, you know, like foot in mouth, never timid, but suddenly timid under pressure when Jesus was arrested. Hey, that's one of the guys that was with Jesus. I don't even know him. No, I know for certain. I told you and I don't even know him. After the resurrection, who is this man? As he stands up on the day of Pentecost and, and proclaims the, resur- the cross and the resurrection... And 3,000 people come to Christ as he is willing to go to death. And he does. Because new power, not just new life, not just proving Jesus the Messiah. This isn't just apologetics, the resurrection. This isn't just proof. This is the power of the kingdom, a kingdom with the risen Christ as its king. A kingdom that is victorious. A kingdom that can never be shaken. You ready for this? Given to you and me. Given to Jesus' church, his body. Another way of looking at the new temple. To minister to others. You know, in the Old Testament, you went to the temple. In the New Testament, the temple comes to you. We bring Christ as Christ followers who have a new life to you. Do you know as I close this Easter morning, how cool would this be? If you've never really understood that you need Christ's death on the cross because of the sin that keeps us from God and the nature of God's holiness and the nature of who we really are, and we just can't be good enough, 
and you, you understand that Christ raised from the dead and Christ actually will give you new life, and you've never understood that until now, and you would like to have new life in Christ, I want you to know that you can ask God for it this morning. You can just say, I get it now. I can't believe it. I can't believe you'd do this for me. And I want to put my trust. I want to turn from clear out everything else. I want to turn to you, Jesus. Come and forgive my sins. And he will every time. Give me a new life. And he will. And indwell my new life. Wouldn't it be cool to have that happen on Easter? And for those of us who know him and have known him. Hey, could we just admit it's not always Easter in our hearts? We could ask the Lord today on Easter, the day of newness, for a needed newness in our lives. You see, you can ask him for that. This is available because Christ is raised. Christ is ours and we belong to him. And this same power that shattered death on Easter is given to everyone who believe for our lives. And what this means is that the possibilities before us in life with Jesus are amazing. And sometimes we do focus on stuff. And sometimes we do get distracted. Here's what it is. We can clear out the old by repenting and just saying, Lord, that's me. But I need your help to, to move my focus from this to you. We can clear out the old through repentance to turn and we can ask God for his newness again just by faith, knowing that he is here, knowing that he never refuses a repentant sinner that wants renewal. You see, Easter won't for you just be the day that we said, yep, that was Easter, that's cool, and this is a beautiful day. Maybe it could be, wow, that's real newness. And God, could I have another helping of that? And he will give us that. The possibilities are there to suddenly see beauty again, to suddenly be able to give love better, to to enjoy God more and enjoy people and walk in purpose and walk in ministry to others again. And all because of the resurrection, all because of Easter. Destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. One last time. He is risen.